This last week, I had the uh, privilege of attending a one-day seminar on work-life balance. Uh, the individual who invited me invited a bunch of other really busy people, and I don't know if they were trying to communicate something about their assessment of my work-life balance, but one of the things, it was very good, and one of the things I heard uh, uh, several times and, and kind of reemphasized in different ways is, is this big idea that, that some of us can get caught up in in many aspects of our lives, but you are not God. We are not God. There are many areas of our lives we need to remember that, but on this Easter weekend, maybe that reminder is to be realized in some ways afresh. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, for by grace you have been saved, and this is through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man, no woman may boast. For the follower of Jesus Christ, this reality should be the great focus of what the world calls the Easter season. Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and, and the decision to come to this earth, you and I had nothing to do with that decision or making this a reality. Jesus died on a cross. That, was de that decision was outside of our vote. We didn't get to raise our hand and say yes or no. Jesus rose again guaranteeing that, that we too can have victory over the grave. Again, a decision that was made, a work that was done that we could not accomplish for ourselves. Every aspect of Jesus's life in the, in the four gospels is a reminder that we are saved by grace through faith. And in no way is this a result of our works. This is the truth of the Easter story from beginning to end. This is the truth of the gospels. This is the truth of the New Testament. And I believe this is the truth of the Old Testament as well. I believe from the moment that man sinned and that the moment sin entered the world, God has been trying to communicate to us that you cannot work out your own salvation. It is only dependent upon the sacrifice and upon the merits of Jesus Christ. It is not a work of your own that no man can boast. And with that, will you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. We begin in verse one of Genesis chapter four. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. The first family, a husband, a wife, two boys, Eve, like so many mothers after her with the birth of that firstborn child, realized the amazing gift that this was to her. I'm sure she was overwhelmed with, with joy. I, I imagine that she, like myself and like Christina, when we first held our, our firstborn son, Dayton, we cried tears of joy. My pastoral imagination believes this to be so in her. Another son comes along, and I'm sure, again, similar emotions, similar feelings, similar tears of joy, hope for her children. The two boys grow to be Ben. One is a, a, a gardener like his dad. The other becomes a shepherd. As the first offspring in humanity, as the first offspring in humanity, surely in many ways they must probably seem almost perfect. Yet we see almost immediately the reality of the curse 
you will surely die, has already begun to take root in the lives of this family. Continuing on in verse three of chapter four. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell or his countenance fell, as some of your scriptures will read. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. The Bible continues. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, in verse eight. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. The story of Easter is shaped by the context of the murder of an innocent man. The story of Genesis chapter four is another story shaped by the context of the murder of an innocent man. But unlike the Easter story in which the innocent man is the focus of that story, in Genesis chapter four, the story that the innocent man is a minor player. In fact, the focal character of Genesis chapter four is the murderer, not the innocent one who is killed. Even the names of these two brothers means something. The name Abel means vapor. It's almost as if in the story he kind of is just a vapor and he vanishes away. The Easter story is focused on the innocent man who is slaughtered. The Genesis 4 story is focused on the slaughterer. And yet both stories, I believe, are really all about God's grace and God's appeal to humanity to trust that he is the only way to salvation. Typically, when we teach the story of Genesis 4, we emphasize all the actions. We emphasize the actions of Cain. The things that Cain did wrong. We focus sometimes on those actions. Cain brought the wrong offering. Cain killed his brother. Cain did not listen to God. Then we go on and we even read more of Cain's story. Cain uh, had a family that became all messed up. And we look at all these, these actions, these results of the sin. These are all big deals in the scope of the story. But, but as often is the case with sin in their lives and in ours, the action is just the result of something deeper. The action is the result of a deeper issue that's going on in their hearts. When we focus only on the outward action in this story, in Genesis chapter four, rather than digging deeper in the text, we may miss the meat of what God really wants to communicate to us, what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us through the Genesis four story. In fact, if we only focus on the actions of this story, it can become easy to dismiss. It can become easy to zoom through this text and quickly write it off. One of the reasons for this is because none of us have the experience, at least I believe none of us have the experience of what it is to participate in the sacrificial service that Cain and his brother Abel were going through. Also, I hope the great majority of us, in fact, I hope all of us have never nor will ever murder someone. So if we don't dig into the story and we only focus on the actions that are there, the actions of, of Cain and his brother, if we only focus on what Cain did wrong, his wrong sacrifice, his wrong uh, murder, if we only focus on this, we can skip right by and not see that, that we may be in this text as well. The Bible continues in verses three and four, the story we continue in verses three and four. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The subtleties of the text reveal more than Cain's wrong action. They reveal a heart issue that is taking place within this brother. The, the text is, is clear to emphasize something that we may miss, that we may pass over too quickly. The Bible says that Cain brought a fruit or a grain offering, and normally that is what we attach to, because we say, oh, well, it's a fruit or grain offering, and only a lamb is, is worthy in this context. And, and that is true, but, but in the time of Moses, there were offerings that were fruit or grain offerings, so, so that is not maybe what they would have picked on, up on right away. But the Bible says that, that Cain brought a fruit offering or, or a grain offering of some sort. But it says Abel also brought an offering. He brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock. This wasn't an oversight by the Holy Spirit inspiring Moses to, to make the clarification between these two texts. It wasn't that Cain did not bring an animal to sacrifice as we often think about when we think about the story. It was that the offering reflected something more about what was going on in his heart. I like the way the New International Version translates it. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil, some of the fruits of the soil of the ground as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought the firstborn of the flock. It was the firstborn. To the, to the hearers, to Moses' hearers, as they, as they heard this story, they would hear that, that emphasis on the first of the flock. The first, of the, uh, the, the, the first meant something signified the best. It meant something special. It meant something set apart. It meant something holy. Cain brought just some fruit. He brought something on his own, on his own merits, on his own ways, on his own understanding. But Abel brought the best he could. It is still today that we, why we should give of the first of our fruits to the Lord. What we are seeing here is one brother that is going through the motions of the worship experience. One brother who is, who is going through it thinking that, that, that he can go through it on his own understanding, in his own ways. And another whose heart is engaged in the worship. You know, every study shows that more people go to church this weekend around the world than any other weekend uh, in the year. This weekend is the most attended uh, church weekend in, in, in the world, not just here in the United States, but in the world. Of course, many will be at church for just tomorrow's services on, on Easter Sunday. But even within Adventism, and look around, there's a few more people here than sometimes we, we have. But even within Adventism, we find that on, on the Sabbath before Easter, there are more people in church attendance than maybe on other Sabbaths. What, what this text in some ways right here is saying to me, what we see in this text is that God cares less about the action of one attending church on, on this particular Sabbath or on that particular Sabbath. Rather, he cares about why you are attending church, why you are engaged in that moment, your reasons for that. God wants our hearts, not just our attendance. That's what, that's what God was communicating to Cain and Abel, that, that he wanted their hearts, not just their sacrifice. If the issue here, if the issue of this story were really just about sacrifice, if the issue for us is really just about coming to church on this weekend or another weekend, then Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine is not accurate. 
Remember, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of our own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a work so that no man, no woman can boast. The Bible tells us that, 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 that what God desires is us to have faith in him, to, to receive his grace. If the story, if the focus of Genesis chapter four is only about the actions of Cain, then Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is absolutely wrong. If it's only about Cain's works and making sure he works the right way, then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are wrong. But I believe in Genesis chapter four, there is something else that is being communicated to us. The subtlety of the language illustrates that God is concerned about the heart and, 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 and that Cain's heart is not in the right place. Well, why is Cain's heart not in the right place? What is the issue with Cain's heart. Almost every commentary that I read stated this, and I believe it is evident in the text, again, in the subtleties. The Bible emphasizes again and again that Cain brought an offering referred to as of the ground. The Bible wants to make sure that we understand that the, that the offering was of the ground and that Abel brought an offering that was of the flesh. These two offerings can draw our minds back to things that we maybe already have read in the Genesis story that we might not have seen. Against the background of the preceding scriptures, uh, the two offerings remind us of othered incidents that have already occurred. The fruit offering from the ground, he says that, that Cain brought an offering from the ground, points us to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, and look at those. And to Adam he said, this is God speaking, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. These verses associate the offering that came from the ground with human strength and human labor, and human work, and human merits. Whereas the animal offering points, points to the idea of God as the giver, the sacrificer. If you think about it, the very first sacrifice that was made when Adam and Eve needed clothes was done by God. It was his hand, it was, it was his, his heart that had to be broken first on behalf of humanity. It was the first example of God's divine grace and God's protection. Cain's offering was the expression of human effort towards God, whereas Abel's offering was an expression of the divine promise, the divine sacrifice, the divine love of salvation through God's work and God's work alone. Genesis chapter three and verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. A promise that God will do the work of salvation for humanity. Adam and Eve had already tried to make amends for themselves out of the ground. The Bible tells us that, that out of the ground they tried to make a sacrifice themselves in Genesis chapter three and verse seven. The Bible tells us, Genesis chapter three and seven, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together, again, something that comes forth from the ground, and made themselves loincloths, made themselves loincloths. But again, all that could cover 
the nakedness of their sin was God's work on their behalf. Verse 15, or uh, verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God made for them. Could it be that the Bible is telling us in the story of Cain that the heart of the issue, that the heart of his sin was not simply about an action of the wrong offering or an action of the murder, that the heart of Cain's sin was that he was not reliant upon God for his salvation. Could it be that Cain thought his own actions, his own way of doing things could save himself? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a work of God, so that no one can boast No one can boast. Could it be that Cain thought that he could save himself? Well, this is how I see the text and how I see many commentaries that I read see the text, but but one with far greater insight said it long before this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 72. Ellen White wrote, Cain and Abel represent two classes that will exist in the world till the close of time. That means they still might even be in this room even now as we speak, and so we need to hear this message. One class avails themselves of the appointed sacrifice for sin. The other venture to depend upon their own merits. Theirs is a sacrifice without the virtue of divine mediation, and thus it is not able to bring man into favor with God. It is only through the merits of Jesus that our transgressions can be pardoned. Those who feel no need of the blood of Christ, who feel that without divine grace they can by their own works secure the approval of God, are making the same mistake as did Cain. The sin of Cain was that he was someone that believed if he just was good enough or just did the works as he thought best, he could save himself. He could save himself. Easter should be about a focus and a reminder that no one can save us but Jesus Christ. Cain did not understand this. And in the process of time, the Bible says it came to pass that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Verse three. An offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. His face fell. Some of them will say, and he lost his countenance. Y'all, Cain wasn't just pouting because he didn't get his way. According to Dr. Dukan in his commentary on Genesis, this is... This is a Hebrew idiom to mean that he had lost the light of his face. In other words, i.e., another way of saying that he was no longer in God's presence. Because of his sin, he was no longer in God's presence. We know that this is what sin does. Not just the sins of our actions, but the sins of our heart. Uh, Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin separates us from God. Psalm 36 and verse 9 tells us that, that, that our sin removes us from the light of God's presence. And so when it speaks of, of Cain's countenance falling, it's not just talking about him going around and pouting because he didn't get his way. Sometimes we can think of it in that way because we, we see ourselves or we see our own kids, we're, we're pouting. But, but what the Bible is actually saying is that, is that Cain is no longer in the presence of God. God. He's no longer in, 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 in the graces of God, no longer standing in, in, in the light of God's blessing. 
Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? God's asking him questions to provoke him, to provoke him to something. We saw the same thing with his parents. Adam and Eve were asked a question. Why are you hiding from me? God often asks questions to provoke us to our own repentance rather than just saying to us, hey, you did this wrong. We're good at that, right? With our kids, with other people, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Sometimes it'd be good for us to slow down like God does with us and ask the question, why is this going on? And help, our, help us to come to our own understanding, our own repentance. So God asks his questions in order to provoke Cain to understanding, to realizing something. Then verse seven comes along and it becomes very interesting. The scripture reads in verse seven of chapter four, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, lies at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now I wanna say something here. I wanna remind us of what I just read from Patriarchs and Prophets. Those who feel no need of the blood of Christ, who feel that without divine grace, they can by their own works secure the approval of God, are making the same mistake as Cain. But what was Cain's issue? Wasn't Cain's issue ultimately, not that he murdered his brother, not that he brought the wrong sacrifice, wasn't his issue at the heart of his issue was that he thought he could save himself by his own way, by his own works, by his own efforts, by his own gifts. Yet then verse seven comes along and it reads, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying at your door and its desire is for you. You must rule over it. And you know what that almost sounds like to me? It almost sounds like God expects Cain to work himself back into the graces of God. Remember the verse before has just said, Cain, why are you outside of God's grace? Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you out of my light? And it almost sounds, this verse, the way we've taught it sometimes and the way we, we read it, it almost sounds like, like it's saying, you over there have messed up. Now you gotta figure out a way to get back to me. Sin's at your door. You gotta figure out a way to get back to me. I know that we are saved by grace through faith and it's not of my own work so that I cannot boast. But sometimes when I'm struggling with sin, sometimes when I'm battling some sin, I think in my head, Chad, sin is lying at your door. You must master it. And I try to work harder to master it and then when I don't master it, I get frustrated with myself and I beat myself up and I start to, to go through this, this cycle. And I think, am I ever gonna be strong enough to overcome that? Am I ever gonna... gonna, gonna Stop struggling with that sin. Is this sin always going to rule over me? I gotta work harder. I gotta be better. And maybe that's only my experience and never yours. But it is my experience. And the way this text is often taught, it is taught in that way. God's saying you're outside of my light. Now overcome that sin to get back to me. Overcome that sin to get back to me. But why would God say that to a man whose heart had already forgotten that God's forgiveness is the only way to eternal life? Why would God say that to a man who, that, who, who has, fails to understand that God's gift is the only thing 
worthy of cleansing us from sin. That God's work is the only work that can truly lead us to ruling over sin. Can I put forward a new way for some of us to see this text? Can I put forward a new way for us to see this text? If you do well, you will not be will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God asked Cain a question. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Through his sin, the light has gone out of Cain's life. He is separated from God. In the historical context, this was illustrated by losing the blessing of being the firstborn son. God is asking Cain, if you do well, won't you be restored? He's saying, won't you be restored to all that I made you to be again? Won't you be restored to the blessing of that firstborn? Is it a question that God is hoping will provoke Cain to a change of heart? Or is it a threat? If you don't do well, you're out. It's the, it is, if you do well, is the part that I struggle with. Is God speaking of Cain's actions or is he saying something else? What is the do well that Cain needs to do? What is the do well that Cain needs to do? Is it working harder to get back into the light of God's grace or is there something else that's being said here? And I wanna quote directly from Dr. Dukan, writer of the Seventh-day Adventist commentary on the book of Genesis and to, to help us understand this. The Hebrew word, katad, which we translate sin, means rather sin offering, Leviticus 4, 25, and refers then to the atoning sin offering, the sacrificial animal which provides forgiveness and salvation for the sinner, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 37, Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 39. Continuing, the Hebrew verb rabats, lies, which describes here the restful posture of an animal is most often associated with pasturing a herd or a flock. We find this word in the famous and grace-filled and peace-filled 23rd Psalm, this idea of resting in God, and thus implies a message of hope through the promise of atonement. Let me break down for you what I'm saying and what I just read. What we often translate as sin is a word that can, can and is often translated as sin offering. And the phrase which we often think about as a harsh threatening, opposing picture of sin lying at our door, crouching, waiting to get us, waiting to devour us, is actually describing the beautiful, quiet rest of an animal, a gift, the sacrifice of God. Suddenly this verse is not about God threatening, if you do well, if you overcome this, if you master this, you will be back in my graces. Suddenly this text is about God pleading, his pleading voice saying, Cain, Cain, I want this for you. Cain, there is a sin offering lying at your door. There's a way to salvation for you lying at your door. It's waiting for you. If you just receive it, won't you be welcomed back? Won't you be welcomed in? In other words, I see in this text not a threat from God as so often is the case. I believe the language of the text shows that God is offering Cain a gift. He's not saying sin is at your door and you better overcome it. He's saying there's an offering at your door, a gift of salvation, and it's free to you. And if you accept it, you will be and you will receive all that I long 
to give you. Then the last line of the text. Let me read it from the King James Version. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. We often translate this, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Again, within the context of thinking about this only as sin. But the King James here has it right. It's not saying sin's desire is for you and you must rule over sin. I believe it is saying his desire is for you. You shall rule over him. Remember, what Cain has lost is he's lost that, 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 that symbolic blessing of being the firstborn, of being under that, that blessing of the firstborn son. And now what God is saying to him is, Cain, if you do well, if you'll just accept this gift that I have to give you, if you, you will be restored to your right place and your brother, Abel, loves you and you will rule over him and his desire will be for you. Abel, the righteous brother, would gladly allow his brother to receive all the blessings of the firstborn. God is saying, Cain, you're struggling with this works-oriented religion. To paraphrase Ellen White, Cain, you think by your own works you can secure the approval of God. But Cain, don't go down that road. There's a free gift lying at your door. Take it. It is a sin offering. It's a gift. Let my work, Cain, save you, is what God is saying to him. Cain, pick up the lamb and have your whole life changed. Have your whole life changed. Of course, we know that Cain never picked up that lamb. Cain did not open the door and receive the gift. Cain never was willing to, to accept that he could only be saved by the merits of Jesus and nothing else. And Cain has done what has been done throughout history, that those who believe that they can earn salvation through works are furious with those who believe in salvation by grace. And he goes, he goes, and he kills his brother. And the history of Cain's family is turned in a horrendous direction. The story of Easter, folks, is a story to sinners. Sinners who believe that somehow they can manage their own way in this life. A story to sinners who believe that, that they can work just a little bit harder and somehow earn their way a little bit more into the favor and into the graces of God. The story of Easter is for the sinner who thinks that I'm so far gone, God cannot do anything to save me. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent his son to the door of every human heart so that we could receive salvation, not that we would be condemned. God is not threatening anyone on this day. If you don't get over your sin, you're in trouble. If you don't work hard enough to master it, you're in trouble. God is saying to you, there is nothing you can do to get over your sin. There is nothing you can do to overcome unless you accept the blood and the gift of Jesus Christ. There is a gift, there is an offering, a work, God is saying, that I've already completed and is lying at your door. Take it, receive it, believe it, 
and be changed. Brothers and sisters, each day we wake up with a choice of whether or not we will be Cain, whether or not we will depend fully upon the merits and the works of Jesus to get us through that day, to walk like him, to live like him, to love like him, to serve like him. Each day we are dependent upon Jesus. There is a door, there is a gift at the door. God wants you to be restored, if you're not there, to the place he always has desired for you, in his light, at peace in his love. Not by your works so that you can't boast. Not by your works because God knew that our works could not make it. I want to invite all of us today to open the door to pick up the lamb that is lying there waiting for each and every one of us, the completed work of our Savior, and to say thank you, Jesus, and allow Jesus to take our life in the direction of his glory that he so much desires it to be. As we're singing our closing hymn today, I hope that you'll take your connection card and, and if this is a decision that you need to make in your heart, if man, it's Easter so I came here today and that's the only reason I came, but man, I need to walk with Jesus. If this is a decision you need to make in your heart today, I want you to indicate that on the back of your card. Maybe that'll lead you to the next step. I need to be baptized, maybe you need to be rebaptized in your walk with Jesus, I would like to accept Jesus. Don't walk out of here with that lamb still sitting at the door. Walk out covered by the grace and the works and the perfect merits of Jesus Christ. Amen.